Greetings, greetings, greetings. Best and brightest, I'm Jay Severin. This Invasion of the Giant Pod Pundit number 5999. Democrats love Joe. Democrats hate Joe. Excelsior. Invasion of the Giant Pod Pundit with Jay Severin. I received an interesting question. They're all interesting. From you on Twitter moments ago, asking me, what about Elizabeth Warren and Biden? What about a ticket of Biden and Warren in that order? What about a Biden-Warren ticket? And so I put the question, I, I said firstly, that given what we think we know right now, a bet on a Biden-Warren ticket seems sound enough. And then I put this question. If you are Warren, if you're Elizabeth Warren, and you believe that scenario, that the Democrats are kind of now shaping up in a way that they really want to see a Biden-Warren ticket. If you're Elizabeth Warren and you believe that scenario, would you, one, savage Biden anyway in the debate next Thursday night, hoping to collapse him, knowing that the other candidates, believing that the other candidates are going to go after the leader and try to tear him limb from limb, would you savage Biden, hoping, along with the others, to collapse him and grab the top spot while he's weakest? Understanding, of course, that if your ploy fails, there's no chance that you will be asked on the ticket. Or, if you're Elizabeth Warren, do you, too, do you start maneuvering now, laying off Biden? kind of forming an unofficial alliance with Biden, attacking Trump, attacking policies, but not savaging Biden, hoping to play for the tie, as it were. And by that, I mean playing for the VP spot. If you're Warren, what do you do next Thursday night? Do you go for number one by killing off Biden, taking that chance? But if you shoot and miss, you get nothing. Or do you play for the VP spot? Interesting, no? Well, this provoked my curiosity, as I hope it does yours. As this very question, this dilemma, is being considered by all the other Democrat candidates to one degree or another, what do they do? What would you do were you in their position? I know, I know you may be thinking, wait, hold the hold the phone here. Uh, clearly a number, like most of these other candidates, uh, except for the top three, maybe four, all the rest are doomed, totally. So why would they be worrying about how they behave toward Biden next Thursday and in general? Answer, correct. Most of the minor candidates are doomed in terms of being the nominee. 
and some of them even a shot at vice president. But I believe several more of them than we think are angling, not unrealistically, for the VP spot. And this is the time they have to start thinking about that. The party is already thinking about it. And Biden, the Biden campaign, despite his current woes, you know, if he corrects himself, I I don't think he will. But if he gets back on track, you know, he's still the presumptive leader. Yes. So all of these can virtually all of these candidates, even though we look at them and dismiss them, the run for the VP spot is entirely its own animal, but connected to the overall debate and campaign. After all, the mathematics that rule the ultimate choice of a vice president will all, it's always the same formula. And here it is, demography, who you bring to the ticket by virtue of who you are. Man, woman, straight, gay, black, white, brown, yellow, pink, polka dot, demography. It's the first thing they consider in choosing a VP. Secondly, geography. This matters less now because we're all nationalized by this campaign and by the media coverage, but it's still important. We're talking about an electoral college election, don't forget. We do not have a national election. We have a national election day. The difference is there is no national election across state lines. What we have in America, constitutionally provided, is an electoral college election in which we have 50 individual autonomous state campaigns, all of which culminate on the same day, which we call election day. But we do not have a national election, right? Keeping that in mind and the electoral college next to demography, or perhaps even over it, is geography. Where do you come from? Do you come from a swing state that's really important? Do you come from Minnesota? Do you come from Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Texas, California? What, 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 what state or region do you maybe bring, the voters of which you bring to the ticket? So demography, geography, and age, generation. That also was a factor here. It's been talked about only in terms of Biden's age, and that mostly by virtue of his uh, virtual Tourette's uh, behavior, and, and because Bernie Sanders is, you know, requires an archaeological dig uh, to get out of bed in the morning. So demography, geography, and age. That same math is going to be used. So think about it, particularly because we're talking about the politically correct new progressive Democrat party here as such, with an old white man in the lead, an ancient white man in putatively in second place, and a mature white, mature white woman representing the three most likely uh, nominees, candidates for the nomination, might there not be a hue and cry if one of them, if if Biden or Warren or Sanders, 
is nominated, there will be a hue and cry by the progressives, the AOC wing, to balance the ticket, quote unquote, to balance the ticket, and they'll demand a, a prominently minority, an obviously minority vice president. Won't they? And what will that be? Will it be someone who's brown, someone who's black, someone whose reproductive organs match a certain formula, someone who uh, boys like boys and girls like girls? I, 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 don't, I don't know. That will happen if one of these current leaders wins the nomination. The AOC wing of the Democrat Party will demand minority balancing of the ticket, so-called, and they will get it. Even if it, it, even if it diminishes their electability, even if it diminishes their holy war to defeat Trump, odd, aren't they? These Democrats, they're consistently saying in polls all across the country that the most important single factor in choosing a candidate, a nominee, is someone who can win, a ticket that can beat Trump. Policies be damned. I don't care if I disagree with them on uh, Green New Day, uh, on on uh, uh, on abortion, the, all these like major existential issues they're willing to give up on, so long as they get someone who could beat Trump. Yet here it comes to completing the ticket, and the progressive wing is going to demand that they put someone on the ticket who may exactly because of why they were chosen, because they are gay, because they are communist, you know, because they are, are black, because they may be, they may be sabotaging their own ticket by insisting on political correctness. So they turn around and in assembling their ticket, they shoot themselves in the foot, or I would suggest they shoot themselves in physical real estate that's far more critical than the foot and farther north. So they cripple themselves with political correctness in order to have a PC poster picture for a Democrat ticket. All of this is to say that some of the presumed walking dead on that stage next Thursday night aren't. They may be prime blue chip vice presidential material like, say, Julian Castro. He has absolutely nothing to recommend him in terms of a modern major political campaign for president of the United States, Julian Castro has nothing to recommend him except his surname, his pigmentation, in short, his ethnicity. I will note here uh, that Castro coincidentally comes from the crucial and increasingly toss-up state of Texas. See geography above and see demography right now. It's 90% Castro's ethnicity that would make him perhaps a leading candidate for the vice presidential spot. Now, he's thought of as walking dead. He's thought of as refuse up there on stage. Like, get out of the way. You know, like, let someone important talk. But when this thing starts to shape up, as I mean, it's already started, and we've talked about it, we've predicted it just nails from the beginning, and we'll continue to, uh, I'm very confident. It, it, you know, a guy like Castro all of a sudden could be on the tip of everyone's tongue 
just because it starts to turn to, oh, okay, now, who's going to form an alliance? So a guy walking dead like Julian Castro could be vice president of the United States in a year. He could be a major candidate on the ticket in a month. In fact, as we walk down the list of minor, minor candidates on that stage next Thursday, an exercise with which I will not now torture you, every one of them is ludicrously out of the running to be the nominee. But no matter how far they are from winning the big prize, they may still still well be, ironically, very much in the running for vice president, each of them offering the requisite ticket balancing assets. Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar, even Andrew Yang, uh, you know, have a PC resume, whatever their other shortcomings that place them in contention for second place for VP. Now, I mentioned all of this to set the stage for next Thursday night as we roll toward that, and we'll be doing updates 12 hours a day on Twitter, generally speaking, noon to midnight, or maybe one to one. Uh, that's when I'm on Twitter. Not No hard and fast rules, but generally, you know, that's when you find me. And those updates are, are important if you're following our school of thought, because the podcast's uh, though they may become far more frequent, are now, you know, two times a week, sometimes three. But I will be updating my thinking, that is to say, my my hard predictions and breaking news uh, on Twitter. So please join us there. So I, I mentioned all of this to set this up because as we roll toward next Thursday night, and the, of course the live tweet, the post-game, the pre-game, the pre-analysis, the live tweeting um, with you, next Thursday, I just wanted us for a moment to remember, to focus on the critical decisions that each of these minor, minor candidates have to make in the next few days as they prepare to face their opponents uh, in the ring, chiefly Joe Biden, the leader. I mean, it's no secret that minor candidates attack the leader most especially when the leader may be on the verge of a tragic comic breakdown in front of the entire nation. Great opportunity to provoke Biden into being taken off the stage in butterfly net. However, however, these candidates have to be asking themselves, all right, what, what should I do here? Is the cost of attacking, I mean, is, is the reward of attacking Biden worth it? If I attack Biden, I may shake him up. I may shake this race up. But what is the cost? What is the cost of attacking the leader? The cost may be, you know, savaging Biden next Thursday is maybe disqualifying yourself from being Biden's running mate. For every candidate from second place, uh, every, every candidate for second place, uh, and even down to the most obscure, there is virtually no one on that stage that does not have a plausible chance of being the running mate. So Thursday, do they hope to upset the field and hope like a, you know, a roulette ball to land in the right place as a result of random chaos? Or do they, as aforementioned, start maneuvering now into an alliance of sorts with Joe Biden? 
It, it can be totally informal, not even any contact with Biden. It, 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 it's a matter of laying off him. It's a shift in being an attack campaign to attack Trump or, you know, uh, you know, uh, use the issues as, as your whipping horse. This is an, an, a, truly an excruciating decision for these candidates and their advisors. I mean, this is it. This is what it's all about. If you cannot be the nominee, you surely want to be the running mate. Running mates become vice presidents. Vice presidents become presidents. Big decision time at the OK Corral. Now, perhaps it is one debate too early to make uh, an almost final strategic decision about slamming Biden or laying off him. Maybe you don't get to decide. Maybe Biden disintegrates next Thursday. And even though you plan to lay off him for one more round, maybe it doesn't matter anymore. Maybe you don't make the decision. Maybe whatever decisions you've made tactically will be completely overshadowed by something Biden does or doesn't do. But I don't believe it's a debate too early. I don't believe it, and neither should you. I believe next Thursday's debate will have a, a very immediate and very profound impact on uh, the personnel lineup here in this Democrat challenge to Donald Trump. We will know, we will feel we know much more after next Thursday than we have learned in the six months leading up to it. An absolute winner and loser will not be formally declared, uh, nor even informally declared in in you know the opinion in the uh, opinion echo chamber but you and i will know probably for sure who the leader is who's battling whom for second and who is out of it and who has decided to play for the tie so to speak the vp shot yes of course those impressions are subject to sudden change that's what makes this game so much fun so when we ask ourselves, as we did today on Twitter, uh, if I may, at Giant Pod Pundit, at Giant Pod Pundit. So when we ask ourselves, what would you do if you were Elizabeth Warren next Thursday night, or even Bernie Sanders? It is just as much a challenge and just as much fun to apply that calculus to virtually all of the candidates on the stage, because as aforementioned, they all believe themselves and not incorrectly, to still be in this race, to still have their political futures at stake to one degree or another. All of this boils down to the candidate, individual decisions about how they will treat Joe Biden next Thursday night. Will they love Joe or hate Joe? Will they treat Joe with iron fist or velvet glove? I expect very much will still change in the next six days. I trust you'll stick with us for the podcast and surely on Twitter, where I mentioned I'm updating uh, roughly 12 hours a day from noon to, you know, 12 to 12, roughly, where I am always uh, commenting and updating the predictions and speculations uh, of the current situation. Okay, let's call it what it really is. Telling the future. 12 hours a day. Um... Again, at Giant Pod Pundit. Until the next, remember, before it becomes everybody's conventional wisdom, it is our 
original insight here first. I'm Jay Severin, grateful for your attentions. Excelsior.